0: Welcome to The Readings Podcast, a production from Melbourne's leading independent bookstore, Readings, Books and Music. In today's episode, the Victorian Pride Centre on Fitzroy Street, St Kilda, in Melbourne south, was opened on 11th July 2021. Its location, its design, and its well-thought-out objectives combine to make it one of the most imaginative and sympathetic public places in Australia. Dr. Judith Buckrich's book, the making of the Victorian Pride Centre details not only the building of this now iconic centre and its gorgeous architecture, but also provides an overview of the history of LGBTIQ people in Australia, particularly in Melbourne, in a beautifully photographed and edited volume. To go into the history of the Pride Centre, we were joined by Jude Monroe, inaugural chair of the Victorian Pride Centre, and Nicholas Henderson, sound curator at the National Film and Sound Archive, and curator at the Australian Queer Archive. To interview our guests, we enlisted the help of James Mackenzie, longtime broadcaster on 3CR Community Radio, with the show In Your Face. Here's James, Jude, and Nick.
1: So I'm here with Jude Munro, the inaugural chair of the Victorian Pride Centre. And Nick Henderson from the Australian Queer Archives to talk about the making of the Victorian Pride Centre. Nick, let's start with you. It's a wonderful site. What can you tell us about its history? Sure. Look, I only know a
2: small amount of the history in terms of the physical location. What I've been told mostly by uh, Sally Goldner and other members of Seahorse uh, over the years. So there was a restaurant in the location, and I'm sure Jude can can jump in and add much more to this, but the restaurant called Munro's was a, an informal space for members of Seahorse, which is a trans organisation and the oldest trans organisation in Melbourne, in fact. So initially it had been set up as a transvestite group and that was the terminology used at the time for heterosexual transvestites, but progressively over time it's shifted and become a much broader kind of organisation, uh, supporting the the breadth of the trans community. And so particularly I think during the 1980s and 90s, uh, after meetings, it was a space for people to come together more informally and catch up and have drinks and and food in the in the space. And so I, I guess there's two spaces there. So there's a restaurant, Munroes, and then the back, there was a car park. So the block is an L shaped block, and the, the back part was uh, separate, I believe, and then the front part was the restaurant.
1: And I read in uh, Judith Buckwich's wonderful book that's believed the site was the home of the French consul general who lived there in scandal with his mistress, which is a wonderful kind of segue into the sex worker kind of history of the area and the kind of, you know, people on the fringes and the, you know, socially kind of, you know, looked down on. It's a wonderful kind of, you know, metaphor for the journey of our community, which is also really documented in the book as well. Gene Munro, you've been an activist for decades in the LGBTIQ space. Did you ever think we'd get to this time when we had a Victorian Pride Centre?
3: So as a co-founder of Gay Liberation back in 1972 and certainly the year before when I stood with a couple of mates and handed out a hand roneoed leaflet on the importance of homosexual legal rights... No, I would not have envisaged a Victorian Pride Centre.
2: But Jude, I guess at the time you were also, I mean, there was a Gay Liberation Centre.
3: We eventually had a Gay Liberation Centre, so that came a bit later, of course. So we initially started that at um, Melbourne University in the Forum I think it was Chris Sanders' place in Brunswick Street, very close to the town hall. And the upstairs of that we used to have as a meeting space, but also on, I think it was Thursday or Friday nights, we used to have film nights and they were absolutely hilarious because you'd be surrounded by all of your friends from Gay Lib and there would be a camp camp yelling out an interpretation of the latest cowboy movie especially that was on. But it was a really important time for us to be creating our own tribe, in a sense, our family outside of our families that we were born into. And it was a time of really, I think, probably six to eight emerging themes that then became organizations in their own right so subsequently i got involved with gay trade unionists group the gay teachers and students group but there were plenty of others that came about there was the gay community news so there was just so many different themes that were then picked up and nick can talk about from his reading and talking to people from the time, which I think then in turn established enough esprit de corps and bonhomie that when it was required with um, the emergence of HIV-AIDS, there was a capacity to really pull together and support each other through some of those times.
1: So the centre's very much a product of activism and the law reform that stemmed from that, the government imprimatur that stemmed from that.
3: I think so, James, and I think when you sort of have that reflection back, what also happened in the 1970s was the emergence of Australian gay archives that then became... Lesbian and Gay Archives, and is now Australian Queer Archives, that Nick's such an important part of that organisation. But back in the day, that came about in, I think it was 1970. Six seventy seven, seventy eight. 78? Yeah, well,
2: we formally were set up in 78 as part of the National, as an initiative at the Fourth National Homosexual Conference. Yep. But p- people like Graham Carberry yep. and Liz Ross and others who'd been the drivers had been really already thinking and kind of pulling stuff together.
3: So, Graham, I remember him calling me and Bob Thurling to help shift stuff from one area, excavating part of his basement. And then we took some of it to Bob's place while he did further excavations in his place in East Ivanhoe in Melbourne. And then, you know, like just to think about how that has grown, it's, it's now, Nick, probably one of the biggest international collections, isn't
2: it? Yeah. Community-wise, I, I think a lot of organisations and archives have kind of shifted and have become institutionalised, but in terms of uh, independent uh, ones and... It probably is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I suppose the point that I was making was that that started in the 70s. It's now housed in the Victorian Pride Centre and it's got a permanent residence as long as the Victorian Pride Centre is still there in Fitzroy Street, St Kilda. Similarly, Joy and Switchboard, they all had their origins back in the day right? So it's, there's a longevity there. And then with the arising the Victorian AIDS Council, they have their own premises, but they also have the medical clinic at the Victorian Pride Centre. So there are now 16 organisations who are housed there. So there's that sense of a permanent location. And some of us, James, who've had the history of activism, know that Even though we have all these rights now, there's still a long way to go, but also there can be reactions against it and reforms can be undone. So to actually own our own place, I think, is really significant because it's a source of eventually capital that can find other funds that can then support activism that might be necessary down the track. So I sort of see that as being something quite important. I could have that debate with others probably who would say, no, that's not what the basis of movements and that sort of thing are. But I actually think it gives us a resilience that's required. I mean, Nick, you're in an amazing position. The Queer
1: Archives is there. Uh, You're part of this hub of of community that gives us that kind of, you know, unity in the same space to respond to issues like the attacks on drag, like the attacks on the trans community, pushes for law reform. What's it like working in that hub? Do you feel that it gives us that momentum?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, for the Archives... We're the oldest organisation in the building. But for us, we'd would we been part of different spaces before. So we'd been part of different community spaces. The hub that was in North Melbourne in the early 1980s, that Christ Community Church and, and John Willis had, had been behind. But for 20-odd years, we were co-located with the Victorian AIDS Council in the Peter Knight Centre, which was also a, a community space in that sense. And so for us, I keenly recall the first meeting in which the different community organisations came together to look at issues about stability, sustainability and space. And so that was, I don't know, if six, seven years ago or something now, but they had a whole lot of issues with their buildings. There was issues to do with the building that Joy and others were in, MQFF, in City Village and, and also with Coventry House, I think it was, in South Bank. But looking at that kind of sense and for many of our community organisations, that sense of sustainability, the sense of being able to have a community control space in that sense and, and, and stability you know, I think so many community organisations come and go because they can't maintain a lot of those things. You know, they spend so much time focusing on admin, on finances, on overheads, and everything else that they, you know, often don't get focused on the actual doing of the service delivery or or whatever that might be. You know, so for us, we have long had a close relationship with the Victorian AIDS Council and some of the other organisations that use the Peter Knight Centre. But what was really, really different, I guess, in coming together and having the opportunity of the Pride Centre, part of that of was also the design process contributing and and building and and developing new alliances and new closeness, and you know that will just continue to increase. And it's been wonderful since we've been there. You know, we've we have been significantly partnering with TGV Transgender Victoria and other organisations, creating more events between us and and having that ability just to be in the same building just to go oh upstairs downstairs you know joy uh, they pop down and and up and you know for us it's also an opportunity to have a much more visible presence you know being off a car park at Peter Knight Centre, you know, moving those bins. Wasn't always the most engaging of spaces for researchers, but, you know, I, I think for us, even though we've been around for so long, I think people are like, oh, an archive, that's a, that's that's novel. It's been great just to, to give that space. And for a lot of people, I think particularly a lot of young kids coming in, there's been so many school groups and others. The tours that are on the weekends, you know, I love uh, showing everybody around and people seeing the badges, oh, my God, I had one, and just being able to see things that they recognise in that history. And for me specifically, I guess it's also something about showing an Australian history. It's it's not an Instagram post about a brick being thrown by Barbara Streisand somewhere in 69 or something. What, what was it? Who Judy knows? Garland. Oh, Judy Garland threw that first brick. I <laughs> she knew died. it. Yes, no, it's all of the above.
1: Jude, so community ownership equals empowerment, equals uh, the strength to achieve better outcomes for our community. The building's known for being quite iconic, even though it's only about to turn two. Tell us how you
3: decided on the wonderful design. Like, what's the backstory yeah. to all of that? Now, so, And picking up from what Nick was saying, really the Australian Labor Party was very much influenced by an ALP committee that Jamie Gardner was involved in. And Simon Ruth and Roe Allen Simon had seen Pride centres internationally and so there was effectively a synchronicity that happened between a need for a policy to position the ALP as really committed to equality, so there was that, plus the ideas that were emerging and as Nick described from amongst the organisations themselves wanting to have permanent homes. So you could see this, effectively this idea emerging around 2015 and in 2016 there was an announcement by the Victorian State Government in May 2016 of a policy of putting $15 million into a centre. So that idea then got translated into, well, we'll set up an organisation, we'll have a board. I got approached to be the inaugural chair. We had a group of about eight of us. And then we worked through what are the steps that are going to be needed. and They're documented in the book, you know, chronicle for all time. And part of the process we went through, and because I'd been involved in buildings and construction and development, I knew that we were going to have to hit the ground running. We didn't have any money. It was difficult. I got one of my friends, Dimity Reid, who's an associate professor of design, and I asked her to start the process of thinking through design. She had been a councillor at St Kilda when I'd been the CEO at St Kilda Council, and when the town hall had burnt down, I came in to build a new town hall. And I had benefited from, back in the day, Dimity's advice that we should run a design competition to build the St Kilda Town Hall. And I said to her, I need you to write a design scope and a design competition and select and bring to the board the views from a design committee Uh, which all that ended up happening. And Dimity went around and she interviewed Joy Radio and MQFF and what was then, Victorian AIDS Council, and asked the question, what is the amount of space you need here? What do you want this to be? And there'd been a process of working through what was the nature of this centre going to be? And I'd been to a centre in the United States, I won't name it, but it had been as dead as a dodo. And so what I felt was we needed tenant organisations in there, which the tenant organisations themselves, the LGBTIQ organisations, they wanted to have a centre. So there was that, and but also the appreciation of history. So it was essential as a foundation member that we got Australian Queer Archives in, because that then would establish that sense of history and people being able to come and learn and do research if they were writing a phd they could come and use the material from that but also a place of celebration so we needed to have event space and we needed to have a community feel and get a cafe in there and also have co-working spaces And people coming and just enjoying themselves and feeling part of it. Why we hit on the iconic design, James, was we needed to get Premier Daniel Andrews 100%. He was already behind it, but committed by seeing an iconic design. And so when we had the design competition, we looked at the four finalists, we got a recommendation, and it was the James really Grant Amon iconic design that we've seen now in place.
1: It must have been an incredible feeling when that machinery of government and the, the premiers like in primatry, if you like, clicked in behind the concept.
3: Yes, absolutely. As I explained, there was a reason for it in terms of the ALP wanting to demonstrate, government wanted to demonstrate in a physical form its commitment to equality. But it was also, we wanted to, apart from it being something that would absolutely nail everybody in government's feet to the floor with an iconic design, we wanted to have a building that wasn't just a TAFE building, that was an ordinary building. We wanted something that our community could really be proud of (laughs) and the people of Victoria to be proud of this building. So that was sort of really why it had to be an iconic design.
1: For you, what's it been like emotionally going through this incredible experience where you literally built the place up from nothing? With the committee, with the community.
3: Well, it was... Hurting a lot of cats, can I say that? (laughs) I
2: I can remember some of the consultation meetings uh, with the community organisations. And, you know, if you think that the queer community or LGBTIQ plus community is monolithic, uh, you'd absolutely be wrong. And obviously bringing everybody into those spaces... Um, you know, reveals similarities, it reveals tensions and and you know, there were some really interesting discussions that had and and about the specificity of different communities, thinking through things like disability and access, thinking through what what different things mean from, say, access from a health perspective versus others in terms of privacy. And so it was a really interesting discussion. I even remember that um, some commentary from one of those meetings got into, uh, I think it was an editorial in the age. Uh, no, The Australian. Australian. It was the Australian. Very critical. Um, So, you know, it was a very watched process and, you know, our community is... I think that's
3: a very fair comment from Nick. So the sense of a a community not being monolithic, um, it got to a point after one of those consultations where I felt that we needed to do, and the board felt, we needed to do greater in-depth building of commitment and also an understanding of what the needs were going to be with the various communities within the LGBTIQ community. So we went specifically, and I asked Rhonda Galbally to chair a process with people with disabilities, and also I asked Brenda Appleton, a well-known trans activist, to get together a group so that the needs of trans people and gender diverse people within the centre could be absolutely recognised and built into the design. So there was the design brief that Dimity had, but then there was further refinements that went on in terms of that, but also starting to build from a non-coalition to actually start to build a coalition of support. So when we had the first Carnival presentation of the idea of a Victorian Pride Centre, the whole heap of people said, oh, we don't know about this concept, it won't get built, blah, blah, blah. The next year when we had the actual design, people started to come past and say, Wow, that's a great design that's been picked. Wow, fantastic. Gee, these four designs, but they're all great, but gee, we really like this one. Yeah, well, that ended up being the the design that was picked, but you'll never get the funding for it, right? And then the next year, we said, well, we've got the funding, and then they said, but it won't get built. Good luck to you. but well, the location. A... I think
1: the location's also an interesting one. Um, Why? Because so often the community comes back to that point. Hmm. North-South divide in Melbourne. Tell us, Nick. Why?
2: Well, you know, I think Jew's probably the best place. But in addition to the architectural competition, the design competition, there was a location, EOI process, that was undertaken that went out to councils, you know, and I think people was, can we appreciate. It went to
3: eight councils.
2: Which were all in a city. It needed yeah, to be. Yeah,
3: had, it had to be within an 8k kilometre radius of the CBD. And they that all was wanted it?
1: They all wanted this. No,
3: they didn't all want it. Really? No, but three councils came back. City of Melbourne came back with two locations. City of Yarra came back with one, and City of Port Phillip came back with one, which is the one that ended up. Melbourne tried really hard. But they were going to give us a building that was one of the responses was in a building that when you went into it, you could get the smell of the fumes from old ink and stuff. So it was an old printing place. Um, And the second, Robert Doyle had the idea he did not want to give us any land. But what we could do was we could build on top of a building effectively have air rights but they would remain with in terms of ownership the city of Melbourne and that was in a great location it was opposite the Vic market but it would be result in no ownership and no potential permanence was
2: it the case that my understanding that the the options from city of Melbourne and, and uh, city Arrow they were both leasehold and the only freehold uh, option, was um, City Port Phillip and there was one other council that responded but they explicitly said no.
3: But there were also universities that were asked as well, so RMIT, Uni of Melbourne as well, because they fitted as major institutions within that particular boundary. Melbourne remained committed and so has Yarra to the centre. So even though they didn't end up getting the gig... They have been so supportive. So Sally Capp as Lord Mayor, I went and negotiated with her for Joy Radio and MQFF to be able to remain in their building in Burke Street. So there were all these pressure points around being able to build at the same time as making sure we had the tenants and making sure that any factors that could have inhibited them from moving in were actually dealt with. So there was so much going on.
1: It sounds like a political and community Houdini act to pull it off.
3: Well, some of us, I'm glad you classify it like that, but I think it was, I've counted them up, there are 150 people that ended up shouldering the burden. But it did require thinking ahead and it required seeing the problems that emerged, like Nick's referred to, and I wouldn't want to gloss over them. But the thing is that they are now in the past, but it was so important that they get chronicled. Hmm. That's why there's the book.
2: And I think... You know, one of the other things, and you mentioned uh, Jamie Gardner before, and the relationship with Labor. There is a lot of work being done over a very long period of time, and this isn't oh, we're someday in the future we might get a Pride in it. It's that this is broad-based. It, you know, there is a whole suite of, of broader policy approaches, initiatives, and strategies, and and this is part of that. You know, this is a broad, you, you know, in terms of you know our approach, and and this is not limiting it in a in a party political sense. You know, there there is. A engagement across the political spectrum. But, you know, we have had significant commitment. I think that's important. To to acknowledge that process, and you know, look, I I hope that the next campuses of the Pride Centre are in uh, City of Yarra and City of Melbourne, and you know, this is just the first in a long stage. You know, we can look at LA Pride Centre and see their ten camp, ten eleven campuses. They started, I think, in sixty eight, so they've got a couple of years on us.
3: Is that on the cards, campuses (laughs) of Victorian (laughs) Pride (laughs) Centre? I think we would look more towards the regions actually. So the Geelongs the Ballarats, the Bendigos, and over towards Gippsland to support what have been some fantastic initiatives in those places. So there's a Geelong Film Festival, there's some businesses that are connected to the LGBTIQ community. There's been struggles in places to the north of Melbourne that have been really difficult ones. And you can imagine... In some cases we have these really terrific councils that are so supportive. Like City of Yarra now is currently Nick doing some work looking at all of the locations around Fitzroy, Richmond, Collingwood that had connections and have connections to the LGBTIQ community, whether they are hotels, places of celebrations or indeed connected back to old movements and organisations that are now no longer there. So you've got Yarra doing that, and then you've got this fantastic commitment from Melbourne, always, to LGBTIQ rights. And the whole council is so supportive of the LGBTIQ community.
1: So you've got that support across local government, state government. But But
3: it's not there regionally necessarily. For some communities where they've wanted to put on a festival and a local mayor has come out and said, no, I won't support it, and then others that have been so supportive like Chill Out in the Dalesford-Hepburn area has been strongly supported.
2: Yeah, Victorian Pride Lobby has been doing really amazing work with local governments and also I think the the regional roadshow that the Commissioner and the State Government have supported as part of that work and and uh, the Archives had the pleasure of contributing to that through an exhibition that toured. So I think part of that in terms of, you know, is, is looking at the regional specificity of community, uh, looking at, at the, the placeness of it, is not, just the narrative that people come to the city, you know, to escape um, the country. Yes, there's still a lot of issues and there's still, you know, a lot of tensions and, and, you know, you talked before about things like the drag story time and other issues in terms of contemporary issues and, and points of tension, you could say. And, you know, I think looking at opportunities to be able to provide that permanence and provide those spaces that are community safe spaces but also spaces of connection and and education for people who unfortunately do have often quite warped and and completely ridiculous notions from weird online videos in America but other than that you know there's there's a lot of opportunity for you know both local communities and metropolitan communities to have those uh, spaces and to have you know more creativity and more connection
1: in those communities. Nick, from a historical perspective, how do you look on the creation of the Victorian Pride Center? I mean, so often when our community historically has achieved things, it's been through crisis. It's been through criminalisation and overturning that. It's been through uh, responding to the AIDS crisis. Yet this is about a very constructive notion of pulling community together. How do you look at it?
2: Yeah, look, you know, it's an interesting one because obviously, you know, we talk about oppression, we talk about different things in terms of, you know, often overhanded responses from police. And, you know, I think one of the things about Victoria is even with aspects to that, you know, we, we didn't have that first uh, Mardi Gras, but we did have BlackRock. And so the Black Rock was a beach on in the bay um, and the police launched a campaign in the summer of 76, 77 and arrested over 100 men in the bushes and in that space. And that prompted more visibility to the activism around law reform. So we did have those experiences here in Victoria, but I think what it separates some of that approach to law reform here specifically is a is a very quiet, very unassuming group of individuals and organisations who have worked tirelessly for many decades publicly, but behind the scenes in that sense of working on law reform, working on community building. And we have a, a level of stability with our community organisations in Victoria, which many other states don't have. You know, if you want to see some community theatre, go up to Mardi Gras and go to one Of their AGNs, always a bit of fun. Different spaces have different communities have a lot more tension often about how they do community organizations and how they have that sense of stability. And I think you know, one thing that sets a little bit of Victoria apart is that sense of stability. For me, looking at that history of how we have you know set up the Pride Center, the many. Many people who had direct involvement organisationally, as, as Jude mentioned, but the broader kind of community in terms of coming together, community organisations, particular people coming along. You know, one of the wonderful things I see as a volunteer w- with the archives in the space is just the people coming in locally from the St Kilda community, you know, coming in and working in the space, people who see it as a safe space to get away from, you know, different environments. We have volunteers um, who do volunteer with us and lots of other community organisations in the building and it's really become a wonderful space for a lot of people and so you know it it, it, for me it's just this multiplicity and I see it growing and growing and growing over time and there's just so much potential there. Has its
1: success surprised you Jude?
3: No it hasn't. I think the fact that the formula was right at the start and the formula didn't just get dreamt up by a board, it was actually thought through by the community originally. Mm. So through the other workshops that were held, Nick's mentioned one, but there was one back in October 2015, Mm. uh, another one 2017, a further one in 2017, the small workshops that I described with the trans community and people with disabilities the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, so First Nations people, getting the support of the Bunurung people on whose land the centre has been built, getting City of Port Phillip 100% behind it, the negotiations with the Liberal Coalition, Federal Government to, to try and get funds from them to support security in the building the working of the ALP government to get further supports, to get a $10 million loan, the going out to founders to bring in lots of $25,000 to make sure that we had a further million to support us. You know, there were so many things that were worked on in order to secure the success, but they were built on a fundamental belief about that you can build a community that you can have a space that will be a home, that will be a centre, that will be an iconic sign of what it means to be out, to be out and to be proud. So many
1: unsung heroes, so many community donors, so many regular folks who have got behind this building. What an amazing story.
3: Yeah, 150 who can be directly named, but probably another 1,000 who are those people that you've described as well. So just a tremendous effort and it's got to be something that's curated in an ongoing way to ensure its continuing success. And look,
2: there, there is a lot more programming happening and, you know, look, I would, you know, take my hat off to all of the wonderful staff who are there and and programming people like Thomas Jaspers who's recently moved on but has done a really fantastic Job, the art advisory committee who uh, managed the exhibition space, you know, the bookshop and their. Hares
3: and Hyenas, very important. Community reference group, you know, there's just yeah. so many facets there to ensure that it will continue to meet the needs of the community. <laughs>
2: And, you know, I think also, you know, I think we kind of alluded to some of those commentary, which I often still hear, the uh, centre being in St Kilda and being too far away from the north. But, you know, I would say to many people that it, it, it's still t- only 12 or 14 minutes from Southern Cross Station on the number 96. It is very easy to get to and it is very accessible. There are fantastic things happening during the week and on the weekends. So, you know, I think it's an opportunity if people haven't been there to really get out and see it. For many of the organisations, They also do a whole range of other things, as you've mentioned, in terms of joy. And uh, there's a lot of opportunities to volunteer with uh, the centre itself. And there's also lots of opportunities to volunteer with the community organisations like the archives if I can put that plug in Um, so you know I think for a lot of people who want to get more connected and want to kind of find uh, different spaces for themselves in community um, both as it might be going and attending an event but I think for a lot of people it's also feeling a connection and feeling that sense of attachment and giving back and I think there's a lot of opportunity for that too with the uh, anchor tenants and, and others.
3: Yeah, and a big shout out, I think, to Justine Della River as mm. the CEO, and to Bree McGilligan who's been an absolute champion in terms of fundraising as the fundraising advisor.
2: I should also note very strong lesbian energy, which I think is fantastic. Very, we need know, more of that. Very solid. Very, you know, all the way
1: through. It's been. Wonderful. And that's that's a metaphor for the community, isn't it? You know, I talk to so many activists and so many lesbians who talk about the incredible support and proactiveness that lesbians have given the community to enable the LGBTIQA plus community to be what it is today here in Victoria.
2: Well, that's, you know, it's like why we became the Lesbian and Gay Archives first because gay liberation is based on feminism and... It is. And we should always keep that in mind. I think some of the principles that we go back to in liberation politics and in terms of community building and the sorts of discussions that we have, whether it's consciousness raising groups or others, is really important. You know, having those spaces and having the principles of feminism. You know, we talk about Me Too, we talk about all those other things now, but they're really, really important and important for the community organisations that we are, and they are what we're based on.
1: Dude and Nick, I want to ask you before we finish up: Is there a word or a sentence that springs to mind when you describe the Victorian Pride Centre?
3: I think a welcoming home, Nick. Yeah.
2: Well, the the word above the door is womanjika, which is um,
3: welcome.
2: Welcome. So I think that that's part of it. I mean, I think for me, it, it's also community and. You know, I, I think it means a lot of different things to different people. But I think for me, community and that sense of that its connection and, you know, it's not always easy, but I think that the, the process and the outcomes are really wonderful. And yeah, look, it's something I'm very proud to be involved in and part of.
1: And speaking of outcomes, The Making of the Victorian Pride Centre is a great book by Judith Buckridge. Special acknowledgement to her. Thank you both
0: for joining me today.
3: Thank you, James. Thank you so much.
0: The Making of the Victorian Pride Centre is available via all reading stores, especially our St Kilda store around the corner from the centre itself. You can also find this book at our website, where you can stream previous episodes of the Readings podcast. You'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film and TV. You can also sign up to E! News or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Kelly. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I would like to acknowledge traditional owners of this land and pay my sincere respects to elders past, present and those to come. Thank you.